Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 3. This is Writing Excuses, Character Perception versus Narrative Perception. Fifteen minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And the part of Dan will be played by this amazing chocolate bar. Oh, um, oh. Uh, maybe can not. We use, can, can, oh, no, don't use the glass of water either. Mary's purse. I haven't eaten Mary's purse. <laughs> the part of Daniel played by Mary's purse. All right. Um, and we have Nancy Folda joining us once again on the podcast for the first time with me. Uh, <laughs> both of us in the same room, conclusively proving we are not the same person. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I get was... questions about that oh, all the time. Yeah. yeah, I get that with Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you gotta work on the beard a little more. Um, character perception versus narrative perception. This is um, how to write in such a way that if your characters are biased or have poor information, you can indicate in the narrative that the narrative itself doesn't share the same bias. And this is a hard one to circumlocute a bit because what we're trying to get at is oftentimes you'll be writing and your characters will be horribly racist. Um, and can you write a story where the narrative is not horribly racist, but the characters are? Is this even a mire you want to stick your toes into or not? And Mary, you suggested this one. Let's talk it over a bit. Right. Well, one of the reasons that I've been very conscious of this is that the book I'm working on right now of Noble Family is set in 1818 in the West Indies on a slave plantation in Antigua. And so I have characters. You're just a glutton for. I am just. It's like, um, and so you know, the 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 trick is that what will happen for what I have to keep in mind is that Mm -hmm. I am writing for a modern audience. Right. And so I have to be aware of all of the modern tropes. I have Mm -hmm. to be aware of modern perceptions. I have to be aware of the history that has happened between then and now. Right. And be aware that my readers are reading the book through that lens. Right. 
But my characters have not experienced that. And so in order to have characters that are true to the time, what I have to do is balance what I'm doing with their perceptions with what the narrative structure of the book is doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it, it is a very tricky line to, to walk, but one of the reasons that it's, I think it's important, and one of the reasons that I like writing historical fiction right. is because of that tension between the two, that it allows you to comment on things on the past, mm -hmm. um, and it allows your modern reader to draw the parallels themselves and then apply those parallels to modern situations that are analogous without saying, I have an agenda. Right. But, but that, I think that's going to be just as hard, though. Yeah, it's, it um, is not. Avoiding a, the editorializing yes. as a writer to say, this is really bad. Yeah. Hey, everybody, we're going to show you just this, you know. Well, you do want to depict it as not a good thing because it wasn't. But at the same time, if the whole narrative slant becomes a story about showing how terrible this is, you get into that sort of didactic storytelling, right. which <clears throat> most, most of us on the podcast we've talked about. It's not the type of storytelling we like to do. Some right. people do, and it's fine. It's great. I've read great stories. I mean, A Christmas Carol is this type of story. It's a wonderful story, but it's not what I'm looking to do in my, my fiction. Right, and, and so the, one of the approaches that I take with it mm -hmm. um, is that I have the story be not about that thing. Right. So this novel, although it's dealing with a lot of race issues, mm -hmm. is not about race. Um, and that, that gives me actually more narrative freedom because if I have, uh, for instance, I, I, I have a, a moment where one of the characters of color is mm -hmm. angry and is clearly suppressing it. Right. And anyone who's reading it, and I'm, I'm relying on the fact that I have modern readers who will know right. exactly why this character is angry. Yeah. And, and my, my narrative line is, Jane had no idea why she was angry. Couldn't imagine. Right. That's, that's daring. Actually, so, in a way, I mean, it's daring in that it's requiring a lot from your readers. It's, you know, what what you're doing here. The reason that that I said, "Wow, you're a glutton for punishment," is that is so much work to get a historical period accurate, and all the eyes are going to be on you. Mm -hmm. All the eyes yes. are going to read this and be like, "Oh, how is she handling this?" Yeah. Um, which is actually really awesome that you're doing this. But this is a much more difficult thing than you know, s simply doing a historical novel is hard on its own because right. you have to get everything right and the, um, everyone's going to be watching you. Adding in this element is going to bring, make the scrutiny, the, the, the tines on that comb are going to be far more fine. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's, it, it's something that I think, that I think it's important for a, a, a writer to be thinking mm -hmm. about, to, to remember that your book is being read in the contemporary and that yeah. you can't, you can't, say, oh, well, you know, history and get away with mm -hmm. it. But it's, it's true regardless of what, mm -hmm. what the narrative difference is. For instance, in yeah. Nancy's, uh, Nancy has um, a story that we're going to be talking about a little bit later where there is a difference between the character's science awareness. Right, and, and contemporary the, and conte science awareness. Yeah. yeah. And, and anything that you have like that, anything where your mm -hmm. character has a piece of information that is wrong. Right. Well, I've run into this in very simple ways. For instance, I have had characters who are not gun nuts refer to pieces of guns in the way that the common parlance refers mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. And I just get these emails of... You said clip, didn't that's you? That's a not a clip. That's a magazine. I'm like, I know that's a magazine, but they don't. Yep. And I didn't know it until people like you um, <laughs> became my friends and explained the difference to me. And I had 
quote-unquote loving friends who lovingly, God, that's all <laughs> like this, explain the differences to me. But if you're going to have characters speak, you know, you can use words like this to indicate that they don't know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you have to hang a flag on yes. it. And when do you do that? When don't you? Have you ever done this, Howard? Oh, yeah. I, it's it, all the time. All the time. The, I, I'm using, I'm, I'm using uh, some you know, good 20th century military yes. doctrine uh-huh. type stuff. Um, and then I'm also assuming that a whole bunch of military thought has changed around the, you know, around the shifting technology. Right. And so I will use words in ways that, uh, in ways that wouldn't be appropriate. Right. Uh, you know, people said, no, that's, that's not a tank. What you're yeah. calling a tank is not a tank. No, you're right. What I'm calling a tank flies around a lot like a spaceship, um, but it's really, really heavily armored, and language has shifted, and they just call it a tank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, oh, and I've drawn it so that it is enough reminiscent of a tank, right? That uh, because I don't want to call everything a fighter or a whatever. I uh, yep. and yeah, it it happens. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Yeah. Well, and this is really demonstrative of what language does, too. Mm-hmm. In, in speculative fiction, where we're working with the entire spectrum of time and culture and all of the imaginary worlds that we can come up with, I think, to a certain extent, uh, the speculative fiction readers, at least I did as a reader when I was a teenager, I wanted to see this shift of language. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite books ever was um, The Ballad of Beta II by Delaney, where you have basically a novella that is an entire study of the shifts that language happen, mm. uh, of the shifts in language that happen uh, as a society is traveling through the stars. And, and for me, that was one of the major draws of science fiction. So I think exactly this sort of analogous shift, um, making these jumps that the reader can follow is part of the appeal for a large number of readers. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. 
serving collectors since 1945. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere. Visit highland.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Awesome. Let's stop for our book of the week, which is actually going to be one of your stories. Ta-da! Tell us um, about movement. Movement. Movement is a story about a girl with a futuristic disease, which is similar to disease is the wrong word, a futuristic condition, which is similar to autism in some ways, and which is then in the story presented analogously. And she, in the process of uh, coming to awareness of her own desires, of her own, uh, of her own needs in this situation. And uh, it's, of course, partially autobiographical because my son was uh, being diagnosed with an autism spectrum spectrum disorder at the time. It's one of the only two stories I've ever cried while I was writing. Yeah. And something in it worked really well. Um, it was nominated for the Nebula and the Hugo a couple of years ago. And uh, It's a wonderful story. And yeah, it's, it's really worth reading. It speaks much better for itself than I speak for it, quite it's honestly. Not just, it's not just worth reading. It's worth having someone read it to you. Uh, fair listener, if you head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, you've heard this spiel before. You can start a 30-day free trial membership and uh, uh, you know, use your credit to grab movement for free. But movement, for crying out loud, it's like $2 yeah. right now. On Audible. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a short story on Audible. So if you've never listened to an audiobook before, if this is not a thing you've done before, I can't think of a better place to start than with... Uh, uh, then with Nancy Folda's movement. Who's the narrator? Did we look at that? Marguerite Kenner. Yeah, and you can and just buy it for two bucks. She does a beautiful job. Just buy it for two bucks. You don't have to no join Audible. Commitment. You can just try it out and spend a couple bucks and have it read to you. Yeah, and it's only 25 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So yeah. dive in. All right. So in this book, we were talking beforehand about the character's perception on glass. And did you, like, intentionally, you said include bad information because the character didn't know well, or well it's complicated because we were just talking before the podcast that the latest state of the art uh, scientific understanding of the nature of glass has actually changed in the past year since the story was written what happened was that the character as a part of the expansion of the story she fixates on an analogy between glass and herself that the idea of uh, and she f- concentrates on the idea of glass as an amorphous solid as something which appears rigid, but is actually able to move and bend inside. It was a perfect analogy. I fell in love with the analogy, just like I fell in love with Hannah. And I knew in the instant that I wrote that into the text, I was going to run into major problems. Because of course, there's, um, 
there's two camps of public perception on gr mm -hmm. glass, or there were at the time, right? You have one camp that talks about glass in old windows. It's thicker at the bottom than at the top, which is clear evidence that we'll, over about 100 years, glass will slowly deform and flow and change shape. Uh, then you have the actual scientific data on that information, which is, no, those old windows really do have thicker glass at the bottom than at the top, but that's an artifact of the manufacturing process 100 years ago. And they put the thicker end at the bottom always because it sealed better against the rain when the rain ran down the window. And so I had this, this situation where I knew, I knew readers were going to belong to one or two of these other mm -hmm. camps, depending on their experiences and their community that they'd been speaking with. And I did not know how to reconcile this analogy in a way that both sets of readers would be able to accept it and not stumble over the technical details according to their perceptions. Um, yeah, and so I, you can re listen to the story and find mm -hmm. out how I handled <clears throat> that. So but what would your, ins your impression be, um, podcasters, about uh, author's notes? Because I've seen them occasionally <clears throat> in situations like this where the author starts with a note saying something along the lines of, these people are not, <clears throat> excuse me, are not modern people. They don't think like modern people. You will experience scenes of um, horrible depravity or whatever, or it, even just minor um, uh, racial bias. And they give this note at the front to say, by the way, I'm not like this. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't actually think that that, fixes the narrative mm -hmm. problem. No. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cheating a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Huh? Like, I do, I do put historical afterwords in the mm -hmm. back of my book that talk about this is what was really going on in history, mm -hmm. um, and, and sometimes with, you know, for additional reading. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but that does not absolve me of any of... Of having to do this well in the text. Yeah. Because that's well, your help I will, yeah. I will cheat. you need to show. I will cheat with mm -hmm. footnotes. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, I love the boiled frog metaphor. Mm. Okay, and the fact of the matter is, if you throw a frog frog into a pot of boiling water, the frog is probably just going to die immediately. And if you slowly heat up a pot of water under the frog, it's going to get a little too hot, and the frog's going to jump out. And so the metaphor works exactly wrong. And in fact, mm -hmm. it's been tested and shown to work exactly wrong. And yet the boiled frog metaphor is so useful. Um, and so. Uh, Using it, I would footnote it and make fun of the fact that it's exactly it works exactly contrary to how the characters are See, imagining. I was going to guess that you would say they're actually referring to frogs from this planet, which actually <laughs> do get boiled. And it's part of their life cycle. That that would work. That would work as well. But if I'm going to footnote something, mm -hmm. um, I never footnote it in Howard's voice mm -hmm. um, as the author. I footnote it in the narrator's voice yeah. who is going to say something additionally entertaining yes. um, that, that educates you. Yeah, so it's still part of your narrative structure. Right. But, it doesn't, but it doesn't break the flow of the story right. in the way that inserting a paragraph in which mm -hmm. another character comes in and says, you know, the frog thing doesn't actually work like that. Yes. Yes, but the metaphor is perfect. Shut up. <laughs> I have a metaphor for you, too. Um, <laughs> But, that's, um, a, that's a different joke. This is, this exactly. is something as a writer you will run into, uh, listeners. And you will have to decide on your own methods of dealing with this. I actually ran into it in my, my very early books I was writing. I, you know, you'll run into this idea of, oh, wait, this isn't what public perception is going to be. 
how do I get it across? Mm -hmm. And it becomes one of these skills where in the narrative you are able to hang these lanterns without the lanterns being glaring yeah. to indicate, yes, I know, yes, I know. Um, but it is important to hang those lanterns because if you don't, what's going to happen is it's going to distract the reader. And yeah. once a little thing starts distracting a reader, a lot of readers will fixate on that thing. Yeah. And it will it'll grow into this big thing. And then you'll read these reviews online um, where the readers like made a really big deal of this thing, which is a very natural phenomenon. It happens in my writing groups yep. all the time, where if something is not addressed long enough, it grows, mm -hmm. it becomes this. Oh yeah, if something yeah. knocks you out of the story, yep. then even if it was a little thing, the whole story is now broken for you yes. yeah. because you started yeah. reading the rest of the story sitting yeah. outside of it. Yeah, I, I have someone who stopped reading without a summer because uh, because my character perception at the beginning of the book was unaware of the prejudice against the Irish. Mm. And she thought that was the narrator's perception, mm -hmm. even though the entire book is about... A, a lot of it tr yes. hinges yeah. on... Yeah. the prejudice against the iris. So she stopped reading it mm -hmm. because I didn't hang my flags early enough. Right, and you can't fix these all. No, you can't. But it is your job as a writer to try to fix them. Nancy, yeah, you were going to... This is um, where it becomes really important to listen to critique feedback, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even from the critiquers who clearly totally misunderstood what yes. the story was about. I've seen it a lot. It happens to me all the time. Um, a reader, like a very early reader, will comment on something. I'm like... Oh, well, they just misunderstood that. You know, mm -hmm. I've actually got the detail right. It's okay. And I always think, okay, I can just let it be. And then I'll get my second round of feedback. And nope, there's two or three other people who got stuck on the same point. And then I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I think I need to explain this. But I think it's a, a very common tendency when we know we have it right, mm -hmm. when we know yeah. we've got the details right to say, okay, I don't need to listen to that feedback. Yeah. Right. And in fact, the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I'm talking to uh, about providing context, because a lot of this is, you know, making the decision about when to provide the exposition context. Right. Um, and a lot of times that you know that that exposition, it's like, if you would just wait three pages, I'm explaining this. And a lot of times when you get that kind of reaction, you're like, okay, this is not a place where I'm trying to build suspense. And the fact that they're asking this question now means mm -hmm. that I need to... I need to s make sure that they don't ask that question. So I need to move right. my exposition in front of the exactly. question point. Yeah. Um, we are out of time. This is a very useful podcast. Um, but I am going to require... Howard, you're grimacing. Give us a writing prompt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, take something that you believe to be false, that you completely understand to be false, um, and write a character who has the absolute opposite belief um, and do it in such a way that you take actual umbrage <laughs> at the idiocy of your character and now find ways to hang flags on that so that you're not mad at yourself as an author. All right. And also make it so that at the end of the book, you almost understand why your character believes that. So Nancy wants you to actually write a whole book with this prompt. Of it's course. on. <laughs> she has thrown it down. This has been Right Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go right. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and 
turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.